your Bibles, take them to the little epistle of Jude. Jude chapter number, well, there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude 1 and the single chapter of Jude. We're going to pick up reading at verse number 19. Making our way through this little epistle that has a big message. And over the past few weeks, uh, God has been showing us the, the exhortation of uh, or the, the words of Jude, how he's identified these false teachers, how, he is, how he's just described them, and also, also how that he has told us of the coming of the Lord Jesus. We talked about that last week. And, and so I think we're going to be able to squeeze a few more messages out, out of this, uh, this little book. And so but we're going to pick up reading at verse number 17. And verse number 17 marks a transition in in this book in which he is not referring to the apostates, the infiltrators, those that have come in to deceive the church, but he focuses attention on the believers, the ones that do know the Lord Jesus Christ. And it marks a transition in the book. And so this morning we're going to look at the exhortation of Jude. Jude exhorts the church here and what they should do in response to what has been done by the apostates and the false teachers. Look at what he says in verse 17. But, beloved, now he's taking a transition. But, you that believe, beloved of God, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These are they who separate themselves sensual, not having the Spirit. But ye, beloved, build up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's look at this exhortation that Jude gives us at the end of his letter. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the amazing grace of God. And in this passage that is before us today, Jude, the apostle, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, expressly speaks to those that have experienced the grace of God, cautioning them and, and, and encouraging them in their faith. And Father, I pray that our hearts would have ears to hear. God, I pray that you would give us a, 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 a moldable spirit this morning as as Jude begins to instruct us and teach us, God, help our hearts to be open to what you have to say. And not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. Not as one that comes to a mirror and sees himself and walks away, but one that comes to the mirror and sees the blemishes and rinses and cleans their face. James makes this so clear. God, our part is to hear and obey the word of God. Help us to do that this morning. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. 
as Jude comes to the end of his letter, he begins, like I said, to shift his focus away from the apostate infiltrators unto the faithful believers that are in the church. He begins to exhort these believers to, to urge them. You know, the word exhort carries a, a meaning that is beyond encouragement. You know, I, I've, I've seen people that may be down and, and I've come up to them to try to encourage them and to, and to speak words of, uh, of just help to them. This exhortation is more than to encourage someone. It is, it is that, but it also has an urgency about it, a, a, a pressing uh, of, of a matter, the, the command of mobilization. That's what he gives to these about their faith. You know, when I think of the power of exhortation in the church, I am reminded of Martin Luther, the great reformer. Martin Luther, who was deeply troubled by the, by the practices and unbiblical teachings of the Catholic Church at the time, he began, to be, uh, he began to witness to the church at large. He began to exhort them publicly, uh, questioning these practices and, and, uh, and exhort the society at large to return to the authority of Scripture alone as the ultimate source of truth and salvation. And this exhortation ignited a wildfire that was the Protestant Reformation changing forever the Christianity as a whole. When it comes to exhortation, I think of the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, whose passionate proclamation of the gospel and his unwavering commitment to the authority of Scripture would have a profound impact on the Victorian society in the 1800s and also on the entire world. World whose, whose ministry, Charles Spurgeon's ministry, still resonates today over uh, nearly uh, over, over 170 years later. This is the power of exhortation to move the people of God, to urge them to obedience. And, and what we find in Martin Luther, that that truth of Scripture and the authority of God's Word. What we find in Charles Haddon Spurgeon's preaching of the Gospel and his affirmation of the authority of Scripture is exactly what we have in Jude. He's exhorting them in truth and telling them of the, of the power of the Word of God. And so Jude in these closing verses, he gives us final and very affecting exhortation. And he does this in three parts that I want to look at. Number one, I want you to see a grave caution. A grave caution. But this is verse 17 through 19. He still has the theme of the previous verses because the apostate is still on his mind. And so he continues that, but directly speaking to those that would be listening to him. We would call, uh, we would call the, the bulk of Jude's words in this letter up to this point as a grave caution. But here he has uncovered the disguise of the apostates that have slithered into the assembly of the believers. They're not part of the church. They are like the tares among the wheat. But Jude makes it clear at the beginning of verse 17 
that he's speaking to the genuine believer because he addresses them as the beloved. Did you see what he does in verse 17 and in verse number 20? He says, but beloved. And then 20, but ye beloved. You'll, you'll find that word beloved oftentimes in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, First uh, John, first, second, and third John. John goes over the top to call the people of God beloved. This is an endearing term for God's people. When God looks at the apostate, He is filled with fury and indignation and impending judgment. But when God looks at His people, when He sets His eyes on His church, He does so with the address of beloved. Enduring passion and compassion. Notice first of all when we look Jude calls these beloved of God as he looks deep into their eyes. He's saying uh, them the beloved of God. He wants them to listen very closely. Notice his first caution. It is to remember. To remember. Verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which are spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, by the time Jude writes his letter, it's somewhere between 70 A.D. and 90 A.D. Much of the New Testament had already been written. Much of the apostles' doctrine and teaching had already been documented, already been circulated in the church, or early church of that day. Had already been taught for decades. So Jude exhorts them to remember. Remember what they have been taught. Jesus taught in Matthew 24, 11, that many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. This was passed on to the apostles that gave that same teaching in the book of Acts, in 1 and 2 Timothy and 2 Peter. What has been said in Jude is not far off what the apostles, Peter and Paul, had already been saying. Jude is reaffirming what Paul and Peter and John had already been affirming to the church as Jesus' handpicked apostles. Jude, and what Jude is telling us here is that what we need to identify the apostate, what we need to sniff out false teaching has already been given us in the Word of God. Now I know he goes on in verse number 18 and specifically tells us what has been told of us of those mockers, but I do want to make the point that Jude is pointing them to the Word of God. What has been taught, the, the teachings of the apostles, the, the church of Jesus Christ is built upon the witness of the apostles. Jesus Christ Himself being that chief cornerstone. And that witness of the apostles, what the apostles had to say is contained in the New Testament for us to learn and to know. And so Jude is telling us that we can identify false teaching by the Word of God. Unless you're a recent convert to Christ, most of what troubles us in our walk is not some heretofore unknown Christian truth. Anybody that comes along trying to tell you of some new truth, you need to greet with very much skepticism. Skepticism. Because it is not some truth 
uh, that we've never heard of. It is some truth that what affects our lives is some truth that you already know that have you have let slip away from your memory. You see, mark, mark it down. When it comes to Christian teaching, I like what Jerry Vine says, if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. The reality is, is that uh, this is all the more reason that that the, from day, the day we put our faith and trust in Jesus to the day we breathe our last breath on earth, every child of God is to be an ardent student of God's Word. Jude says, remember something. Remember what has been taught to you. Peter says, Peter says that, I, 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 listen, I don't think it a drudgery for me to tell you the th- same things that I've told you before. It's reinforcing that teaching. Remember what what God's Word teaches. Not only remember, but also realize. 18 and 19, how that that they, the apostles, told you there should come mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These are they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. In these two verses, there's There's a little bit of wordplay going on. Now, I want you to understand something. I am not a Greek scholar. Uh, I stand on the shoulders of those who are. I read closely behind those that can parse the Greek and its tenses and what it is saying. So, I won't pretend to know all the Greek nuance of what's going on in verse 18 and 19. But I will sum up what I have learned. For you, Jude's day was just like our day. Those that opposed the moral imperatives of Scripture, those who supposed to have had loosed themselves from the chains of biblical truth and have embraced a mindset of anything goes lifestyle and call themselves liberal, progressive, modern, and enlightened. They style themselves as those who have taken the the high road in the life of logic. Those who are the real spiritual ones, with names and tags like those, there is a tendency for them to look down their noses at folks who believe the Bible and live according to God's Word. Anytime you hear, anytime you hear, well, don't you want to be on the right side of history? You know what that is? That's that highbrow looking down on you because you believe the Word of God and what it strictly, what it, what it teaches. It's just that highbrow looking down upon people that believe God's Word. Therefore, they mock. They scoff. They roll their eyes and belittle the beloved of God. They mock saying that our Orthodox Christians, uh, Christianity is so... Uh, so close-minded, so filled with bigotry, while they chase their sinful cravings and they have the audacity to look down and mock and scoff at those who are endeavoring to live by the plain teaching of the New Testament. Therefore, they seek to separate themselves. That's what verse, uh, verse 19 talks about, separating themselves. They strive to cause divisions among the people of God. 
verse 19 says that they are sensual or fleshly. Jude is taking the claim of the apostate that they are the only truly spiritual ones liberated to live as they please and standing it on its head by saying that they are living only for their fleshly appetite. They're the ones that say they're the more spiritual. They're the ones that say that they're more biblical. But what Jude says is, no, no, no. When you live by the dictates of the flesh, you're not the ones that are spiritual. They're not the ones that are spiritual. We who are obey, obedient to God's Word are the ones that are spiritual. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit of God. The Word of God is clear. If you have not the Spirit of God, then you're what? None of His. Jude is saying, these that, these that proclaim a life of, of, of sensual liberty, and let's be, get down to the point. That's what he's talking about. The very subjects that we are hitting head on in Pride Month, in our in our. And our rejection of such being thrust upon us is the very things that Jude is addressing in this letter. That sensuality. And here he is saying they, not, they don't have the Spirit of God. Meaning they are none of His. Meaning they're not the beloved. Child of God, don't be ashamed when the world mocks your Christian convictions and your moral absolutes that have a resolve in your heart that that is the gift of God. Child of God, realize that if you have the Spirit of God, you got the right one, baby. Amen. You, you got it. You have the, the Spirit of God, then you're one of His. And the world around us has been sold a sham, a counterfeit spirituality that leads straight, straight toward the judgment of God and to the place called hell. We see that. We see that, uh, uh, that uh, caution that is given. Notice also in verses 20 and 21, we see a glaring contrast. After all the arguments Judas has been given in previous verses, all the illustrations, all the biblical comparisons to identify the apostates loose in the church, he now focuses on the child of God and makes the contrast of how that we are different. The believer is different than the betrayer. They are different. So much so uh, that we could have said for these verses, I want you, uh, so much could be said about these verses, but I just want to pull out a few things. Number one, I want you to look at the priority of the believer. Verse number 20, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. The quality of a child of God is that they never stop building. Never stop building on their faith. When it comes to this subject, I think often about Noah. Noah was called to build the ark. It took over the next 120 years for Noah to build that ark. And constantly he's building and building and preparing and preparing and preaching. He was warning and working. Plank by plank, he was attending to the will of God. Then the day of judgment came and he was safe 
inside. Child of God, you were given faith in Jesus Christ. You didn't work it up. You didn't make it up. It was the gift of God, not of works, lest you could boast. It is not your per- personal preference. It's divine revelation. And you are the, to maintain it. You are to fuss over it. You are to build on it year after year after year. Philippians 2, 12-13 Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Don't puzzle over that verse. You're not working your way to heaven. You are working out your salvation. How am I working out my salvation? By building on my faith. Building on my faith. Being concerned about, concerned about the gifts of the Spirit, the qualities of believer, of being a believer, faith, hope, love, uh, gentleness, patience, kindness, these, these qualities that we are to seek and endeavor. And you think, well, if you, got, if you think you've got them all wrapped up, then we need to have a sit down. I need to learn something from you because the reality is as soon as I get one fruit over here, I'm missing some over here. And as soon as I get success in this area, I got to find, I got I to gotta problem in this area. Working constantly on our faith. Notice also praying, the praying of the believer. Notice what he says in verse number 18, or verse number, uh, excuse me, verse number 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Look at this. Praying in the Holy Ghost. It's it's interesting to note that that is the next breath. When he talks about building on your faith, the first thing he mentions is prayer. It's prayer. Praying. Praying in the Holy Ghost. What does this mean? It is praying and then you get... What does this mean? Does it mean... You're praying and then all of a sudden you get the shakes and your eyes roll up in the back of your head? Is it, is it praying in some kind of heavenly language that nobody understands? No. I believe it is best described as praying, being led by the Holy Spirit. Our prayer life being dictated and led to us by the Spirit of God. The priority of the believer in Jesus Christ is spiritual power to do what God wills for our life. When you think about this praying in the Spirit, uh, I'm reminded of how Paul expressed that kind of praying in the book of Romans. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Listen to what he says. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I won't pretend to know and exegete all of that, but I do know this. Paul is alluding to the fact that we need the help of the Spirit of God when we kneel to seek God in prayer. We need the Spirit of God to lead and direct us in our prayer. It's a prerequisite. It's required of us. And so for that to happen, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now I'm not going to go onto a rabbit trail about this, but to be filled with the Spirit of God means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. 
And to be filled with the Spirit of God means that we're not grieving the Holy Spirit and we're not quenching the Holy Spirit, which are two teachings that are blatantly obvious in the New Testament that we can do. How do we grieve the Spirit? How do we quench the Spirit? I believe it's sin in our lives. I believe it's ungodly practices. I believe it's, it's a, a disobedience in our lives. So if we want to have the prayer life that we ought to, that, that Jude is saying, that that's first off. We, we, if we're going to build on our holy faith, we have got to have spiritually led prayer. Led prayer led by the Spirit. But in order to do that, I've got to be filled with the Spirit. And in order to be filled with the Spirit, I can't be quenching the Spirit. And I can't be grieving the Spirit. Uh, Jude here is giving us that instruction about prayer in the believer. Notice also the pursuit of the believer. Look at what he says in verse number 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let's be clear. I could no more exceed the boundaries of the love of God then I could walk off the edge of this planet into space. The love of the Lord Jesus is super abounding and is as expanse as the heavens. But this word keep here, keep yourself in the love of God. The word keep here means to guard. To guard. The apostates have rejected the love of God because they love their own pleasure. Yet the child of God sees the love of God as precious to them. As a husband or a wife would do their best to guard their marital love, so the child of God is to guard their love for God. Don't let anything interfere with it. Don't let setbacks and storms and problems and heartaches interfere with the love of God. Keep it sectioned off in your heart that nothing can interfere with my love for my Savior. Nothing, listen, nothing enters my life that is not gleaned and, and, uh, and sifted through the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Therefore, there should be nothing in my life that would take me away from the love of God. Of God. The apostate seeks their own gratification at the expense of the return of Jesus Christ. And I believe that's what he's looking, what he's alluding to in 21, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, whether by death or by the return of Jesus. We are, we are looking for Jesus to come. The apostate seeks their own gratification at the expense of the return of Jesus Christ. The beloved of God fix their gaze upon the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. They have a heartfelt expectation for the coming of Christ. Child of God, beloved of God, keep your eyes on Jesus. For He is soon to return and claim His bride as His very own. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That will help you in a lot of heartache. That will help you in a lot of problems. I'll never forget me and Carrie... Early in our marriage, we got kind of crossways at, at 
it seemed like we got crossways at God about some things. Some things in the church that didn't exactly go our ways. We got a little bent out of shape about it. And I'll never forget, we went to go, remember this, Carrie went to Rising Fun Baptist Church. My pastor was asked to preach a special service out there. We as members of the choir were there that night to sing before he brings the message. He brought a message he brought a message on 12-2 about looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And he talked about how that when we get our eyes off of Jesus, we see all kinds of problems. We see all kinds of difficulties. It will bring us down. It will sink us just like Peter looking at winds and waves as he walks on the water. Man, God tattooed my heart that night. My pastor said, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It'll help your disgruntled heart. Keep your eyes on Jesus in the storm. It'll see you through the troubled times. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You'll not be disappointed in Him. You put your eyes on me. I'm going to disappoint you more and more as we go along this path. You get your eyes on your mate, your wife, your husband. You're going to be disappointed in them more than you'd like to admit. But I tell you what, you keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your nose in the Word of God. I'm telling you, you'll never be sorry that you did that. You'll always guard that love for Jesus when you keep your eyes on Him. Notice last of all, a gracious commitment. I debated this morning on these final two verses, 22 and 23, and I reserve the right to come back and preach on these two verses again. I'm going to touch on them today, but I think next week we're going to look at them in more detail. But notice this gracious commitment. This gracious commitment. Look at what he says. And some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Jude continues to exhort these believers as, uh, uh, as he does so. He not only reminds them of the inward qualities that they must be reinforced in their heart and life as a believer, but he also reminds them of their responsibility towards the world. Just because there are apostates out there, just because there are false teachers out there, don't get such a hard heart that you don't reach out to the lost. Those that don't know the Lord Jesus. Uh, uh, the apostate, he attempts to garner a following so that he can lift himself up. He jockeys for position in the ranks of the rich and famous. He tweaks his theology and his beliefs in order to better satisfy those he wishes to impress. His reach is upwards to climb the ladder of wealth and influence and power, pleasure and fleshly satisfaction. But the commitment that Jude is exhorting us to have is a genuine concern for the eternal destiny of lost souls. It is a reach down to those who need Jesus. Who need to be... That's the whole image. Reaching down and pulling up those that are near the flames of hell. He calls for us to have compassion. Notice what he says. And of, and of, some, and, and of some have compassion. The word means mercy. It means pity. When we see this world, when we see this word, 
we should be reminded of the greatest example of compassion. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who left the portals of glory, laid aside His own place at the right hand of the Father, descended uh, to, the, uh, to the, uh, uh, the barnyard stable to be born of the Virgin Mary and to live this life among us, to know what it's hunger, thirst, it's rejection, it's pain, it's sorrows, to know the pain of the cross for our behalf, He humbled Himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the compassion that we are to have. I wonder, is that a fair description of us? It should be. It's Jude's exhortation to the faithful church. We must ask God to give us this compassion for our lost family, for our lost community, and for our lost world. When we look at these verses, I want you to notice just a few things. Number one, I want you to see the sinner that is doubting. Verse 20, 22, and of some have compassion. Notice this. Making a difference. These verses exhibit the way that the child of God is to seek souls for the kingdom of God. Their endeavors to fulfill the great commission go to Go into all the world and preach the gospel to be a witness at home and abroad. But notice the, the addition, making a difference. I, uh, you know, some have wrongly interpreted this verse to mean that having compassion on the sinner will make a difference in their life, or, or a better word of that meaning, would have an effect on their life. I mean, I think it was a local, a local TV station that they're Channel 9, making a difference. That making a difference means that they're having an impact. That it's changing people's lives. But that's not what Jude is saying here. The phrase comes from a word that means to separate thoroughly. Or to discern. Or to doubt. The meaning of the text is that we are to have compassion on those who are, they're in doubt about the gospel. They've not made up their mind. They're undecided about the claims of Christ. You know, it can be so frustrating to share the gospel with people that cannot see clearly what is so clear in your mind and heart. The reality of Jesus Christ and His saving gospel is as real as the skin on your arm to you. But to them, they just, they just don't know. It's not clear. They're undecided. It can be frustrating, but here Jude calls us to have mercy. Have mercy on those who are in the valley of decision. Have compassion on them. I've heard stories of people who have been faithful to be a witness to people 20, 30, 40 years. And in the end of those days, they finally come to faith in Jesus Christ. No doubt it's frustrating for those that can't see, can't see the reality of the gospel. They're, they're so blinded to it. They're so deaf and tone deaf to the gospel and what Jesus has done. Don't get overly frustrated. Just be compassionate on them in that valley of decision. And notice also, also the, the sinner that is in danger. Verse 23, 
and others saved with fear. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. This is, this is such drastic imagery that Jude is describing here in reaching the lost world. He's reinforcing, listen church, not everybody's an apostate. Not everybody's destined to judgment. There are souls stained with sin and filth of this world that are to, we are to go after, that we are to reach for. Jude has a sense of urgency. We are to pull them out of the impending flames. It's as though he pictures the firefighter that blasts through the building and grabs the person's arm to pull them from the building. There's urgency in what he is saying. Most of the church could be charged with depraved indifference. You know what that is? Depraved indifference. Do you realize that you can be charged by law for minding your own business? Let's say you're walking down some sidewalk and you come around the corner and you realize that there is a house on fire. The house is burning on the inside. You see flames coming out of the windows. You see a glowing a glowing light inside, you know it's flames, the house is on fire. And in the window is a small child beating on the window saying, help. Do you realize that if you say that's none of my business and you continue down the path, if it is ever found out, you could be charged with depraved indifference. Depraved indifference. It goes along with, I believe what it James says, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There's actually a precedence in the law for that. To see danger, to see imminent danger to human beings and to do nothing about it is depraved indifference. We must hate sin. The filthy garments of depravity but we cannot let that prevent us from reaching into the flames of hell with the good news of Jesus to those around us. We can't. Sinners that are in danger. Like I said, I reserve the right. Next week we're going to look at these two verses a little closer because I don't, I don't have the time. You don't have the time to sit here and listen to a, a very clear exposition. I want to go closer into that next week, but... It is our responsibility. Jews says not everybody's an apostate. Not everybody that is outside of us is doomed to the flames of fire. No. The call of the gospel, the call of every believer is to reach into the flames for those that are deciding. For those that are in question. To do our best to share the good news of Jesus. To close, Jude is giving us a great exhortation. He's calling us with urgency of what we are should do, what we are to do. We're to wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly embrace this exhortation. His words are weighty and demand our attention. We must not let them slip and fall unnoticed. Within this text lies the profound distinction between false teacher and faithful believers. We as believers have been called to the higher standard. 
That standard requires us to stand firm on the truth of God's Word and extend our hands at the same time to those who are lost. And now it is time to search our hearts. What about you? What is Jude saying to you? Are we inactively, are we actively immersing ourselves into the teachings of God's Word? Are we cultivating and growing our faith day by day? Diligently building upon the faith and the foundation of Jesus Christ. What about, what about our prayer life? Praying in the Spirit. Are we genuinely relying on the power of the Spirit? Seeking His guidance, His strength every day of our existence? What about the lost? We have a responsibility, a calling. God has given us the gift that we're to share with those around us. Those that are lost, without, uh, those that are outside the walls of the church, lingering on the cliff of unbelief. Where's our compassion? It's our divine calling to reach merciful hands in love to those that are lost. Let us not allow complacency and indifference to hinder us in that mission. In this journey, let us be bold and courageous. Let us be faithful adherers to Jude's exhortation. Like Martin Luther and like Charles Spurgeon, God used us to impact our generation for the call of the gospel, the proclamation of the truth. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed and our eyes closed as Grayson comes to bring a song of invitation. I wonder, are we obeying that exhortation? Are we seeing that exhortation for what it is? We are called to build on our faith. Not to hide from this world, but to be bold in this world. To have a heart of compassion to those that are without and at the same time discernment about those that are not, in the, not deciding. They're indifferent. They don't, they don't understand. Be compassionate on those. God help us to... Heed the exhortation of Jude. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Father, God, I pray that you would help us. Give us that, give us that compassion that we need. God, I pray that you would help us to build on our faith, not just to let it, to, just let it out to be grown over and crumbled and invaded by weeds of selfishness, God, let us ever endeavor to build on our faith. God, to seek your power in prayer, your power in the Holy Spirit to live our lives in accordance of your word. God, I pray you'd help us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Just what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Page number 341. We'll sing one, maybe two verses. You responded. God spoke to your heart this morning. You respond to God's word. What a friend we have in Jesus.